Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and since 2016, Monica Shimonik has been coaching moms and dads as they navigate through the treacherous waters of the family law racket. Aside from workshops, which help with specific problems, her 12-week signature course, The Best Interest of the Parent, uses a four-quadrant model to create a robust healing and empowerment system so that you control the narrative in your life, not the state. Use coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL to get 10% off the course, and that will be in the website podcast notes. And I'm telling you, I listened to this, and I wish... I had known about this a long time ago. Right now, I have Paulette McDonald back on. She was on last week, and we were going to talk about the uh, Canadian government sponsoring equal parenting petition. And apparently, we have gotten a lot of great feedback since our last show. So I welcome you back, Paulette. How, how, how did all this um, good uh, response come to you? Hi, Marianne, and thank you so much for having me back on the show this week. I'm very happy to tell you that since our show last week, discussing the uh, government-sponsored, and it's also, I should mention, it's a Canadian government-sponsored petition, so you do have to be a Canadian citizen in order to sign it. We have gained almost 200 signatures since our show last week. Now, granted, we were anticipating a lot more than that, but we were having issues with signatures on the petition where a lot of our listeners and uh, participants were receiving system errors notifications where they weren't permitted to sign it. And it was very frustrating for all of us involved because a lot of people that were like, well, what the heck is the point of having a government-sponsored petition if you can't even sign it? And we did a lot of complaining to the petition clerk and we were still having issues. And then they told us that they rectified it. And then we would go back and get more complaints that we can't sign it because it's showing a systems error. And then eventually we actually threatened to involve the media. And once we did that, bada boom, bada bang. Now all of a sudden the petition is working awesomely. So I would encourage all of our listeners, especially our Canadian listeners, to please search petition E-3298 Canada and sign our petition and share our petition. I guarantee you that it is up and running now. Well, I should say, fingers crossed. Um, We are really seeking to get as many signatures as we can. So if you agree that children need both of their parents, especially after divorce or separation, and you're a Canadian citizen, please sign our petition. And if you aren't a Canadian citizen, please share it far and wide so that your Canadian contacts and friends can sign it and share it as well. Thank you. Now that is petition E-3298. Yes. Okay. So 
last week we spoke mainly about how you came to learn about parental alienation and your advocacy work in that area. And we also touched on your equal parenting advocacy. Um, can you give, uh, give us some background information about how you became a family law reform advocate? Absolutely, I'm happy to. Um, I guess mainly, as I explained last week, initially, it took almost four years for to get all the information down pat. And by 20, or I should, yeah, 2009, I was a member of uh, Fathers for Justice Canada, and uh, I then learned of the Canadian Equal Parenting Council, and they at the time were promoting Bill C-422, and it was an equal parenting bill that was introduced by an MP, Maurice Veancott. I'll just read the introduction that he gave to the House of Commons. And again, this is just to remind the listeners, this is back in 2009. So, Mr. Speaker, I am quite honored to be introducing a private member's bill today, which would direct the courts in regard to divorce to make equal shared parenting the presumptive arrangement in the best interest of the child, except in proven cases of abuse or neglect. Over 10 years ago, the Joint House-Senate Committee presented to Parliament a report entitled For the Sake of the Children. That report urged Parliament to amend the Divorce Act to make equal shared parenting the normative determination by courts dealing with situations of divorce involving children. The non, this nonpartisan recommendation from that joint House-Senate report was based on compelling research made available to the committee members. Over the past 10 years, now again, this is actually 22 years ago now, um, over the past 10 years, the best research has continued to demonstrate the far superior outcomes for children in general when both parents, mom and dad, are actively involved in their children's lives, even if the parents divorce or separated. Polling from the past two years demonstrates overwhelming support from Canadians for equal shared parenting. There is a, f there, sorry, there is in fact slightly more support among women than men for equal parenting. This strong support from almost 80% of Canadians exists across the country with the strongest regional support coming from Quebec and Atlantic Canada. Canadians claiming to the Liberal and Bloc supporters expressed the strongest endorsement for equal shared parenting at 80.6% among Liberals and 82.9% among Bloc Québécois supporters. A variety of countries such as Belgium, Denmark, Norway, Australia, and various U.S. states have implemented equal shared or joint custody or shared parenting presumptive legislation 
which has resulted in lower court costs, less conflict, and improved social outcomes for children of divorce. This bill is one of the most apodical nonpartisan pieces of legislation introduced in this current parliament. I look forward to a strong support of this important piece of legislation from all members of parliament who are committed to the best interests of Canadian children. Mm -hmm. Now, as I said, that was in 2009, which is actually 22 years ago. When I first began advocating for equal parenting, I was, I was new to it and uh, I requested a meeting with my MP to discuss Bill C-422. It took several weeks for me to get that meeting as a constituent and I researched and prepared to ensure that I could cover everything, every detail that I wanted. And I was told that I was only allotted a 15 minute time span. So I put together my notes and I practiced reading it and reading it to make sure that I would stay within that 15 minutes. And the first question I asked her was, are you familiar with our current family law system and how it works? And she actually answered, no, what do you mean? So I quickly explained a little bit about it, and uh, and then I informed her that because this was my first official equal parenting advocacy meeting, that I would appreciate it if she didn't interrupt me so that I could get through my entire presentation Mm -hmm. um, so that I wouldn't exceed my 15 minutes. So she permitted me to do that, and by the time I was done, she was actually so impressed with some of the points that I presented that she asked me several questions. And in the end, our meeting that was only supposed to be 15 minutes ended up being almost an hour. So I was very thrilled with that. Mm -hmm. And then she says to me, and this part blows me away. She says to me that you know what, this is a provincial matter and not a federal matter. So you need to meet with your MPP instead of your MP. (sighs) Yeah, I was stunned. So I said, being new to it, I wasn't sure how that whole thing worked. So I said, okay. So I started the process all over again. And I initially sent in a meeting request for my MPP and it took almost three weeks to get my meeting and then once I had my meeting with the MPP I basically just repeated the same thing that I repeated with my MP and you're not going to believe this but when I was done my presentation He said, this is a federal matter, not a provincial matter. You need to meet with your MPP or with your MP, not your MPP. What a runaround. Exactly, right? So I said to him, 
Well, that's interesting because I just had a meeting with my MP a few weeks ago and she told me this is not a federal matter. It's a provincial matter and you need to meet with your provincial member of parliament and not your federal member of parliament. And he just sat there looking dumbfounded and not really knowing what to say. So I basically said to him, you know what, I'll get back to you and I'll get back to my MP as well. So I did a little more digging and um, basically found out that the difference between the federal and the provincial is that one is for married couples and one is for common law couples. Hmm. But the bill that we had on the table at the time was a federal bill. So my MP should have known that, but she mm -hmm. didn't. She really didn't. So I basically went back and I educated both my MP and my MPP on the difference between federal legislation and provincial legislation. And um, huh. that, yeah. That, that's unbelievable that you have to educate them on their own jobs. Yeah, it's a pretty sad state of affair when our own government don't know the difference between the provincial and uh, federal legislations. No, there it is. <laughs> so I began writing at the time I then joined the Canadian Equal Parenting Council and um, went from advocating and then became the co-president of the Canadian Equal Parenting Council. And I began a huge campaign of doing courthouse rallies and community events and letters to the editors and radio interviews and TV interviews. And um, I'm going to read here one of the letters to the editor that uh, after several of my own being published, um, this is from a father and it's from Barrie, Ontario, because at the time I was living in Alliston, the title is Divorce System Does Need Change. Mm -hmm. He writes, thank you, Paulette McDonald and the Canadian Equal Parenting Council, CEPC in brackets, for bringing the issue of child custody inequality forward. I am not a member of CEPC or any other similar group, but I am a victim of the gender bias in the Divorce Act. I'm a 35-year-old single dad of two young kids. I am very fortunate to have equal physical shared joint custody, currently four days with, four days without of my kids. Pardon me. Be, <coughs> excuse me. Because of my shift work, I get to spend almost as much time with them while they're with me as a stay-at-home mom does. But being able to be with and raise my kids came at an excruciating cost, mentally, emotionally, and financially. To achieve the right to have the same access to my kids as their mother, I spent two years in family court system. 
I stood before six judges and spent my life savings on my lawyer. McDonald is right about the government's own commission recommending the law be changed. She's also right about the conservatives agreeing it needs to be changed, yet nothing changes. In the meantime, other fathers like me continue to clog up the courts, fighting to be in their kids, with their kids, and yes, even cost the taxpayers more. I don't mind spending my life savings on my kids. Can't think of anything more important in this world to spend it on, actually. But I sure would have preferred to put it into their education savings fund rather than my lawyers. Please write your MPs. Kids need both parents in their lives, and this needs to change. Mm -hmm. It's very sad that to this day, this still continues to happen. And last week, we did touch on the For the Sake of the Children's report. And during that same time, when I was campaigning, raising awareness to our Equal Parenting Bill, I had reached out to the Honorable Roger Galloway, who was co-chair of that report. And I, I wrote a letter to the editor that was published that contained some of his comments. And it starts with, it's a sad commentary that 13 years later, the report for the sake of the children, the product of the special joint committee is still the focus of divorce law reform, said co-chair of parliaments for the sake of the children report, the Honorable Roger Galloway. Now, keeping in mind, this was actually published in 2012. Hmm. So it's now 2021 and the same thing applies. So if you're like me, a divorced woman and mother, and you never stepped foot inside our divorce courts, you probably aren't aware of For the Sake of the Children report. You probably also aren't aware of our dysfunctional family law system or our ill-equipped mental health professionals and child protection agencies. And you probably aren't aware that our government facilitates such a devastating war on families at a time when they are most vulnerable, and that's shameful. The government knows well the problems of divorce, Galloway said. Several parliamentary reports have identified that the law needs to be changed. As well, polls these past several years have demonstrated that the public understands that the law is grossly unfair. Yet, this government can act expeditiously when it wishes. We have seen most recently it moved quickly to solve divorce law problems where same-gender divorce was the issue. Surely it can now embrace a public bill to resolve the modicum of equity and custody and access in federal divorce laws. A presumption of joint slash equal or shared parenting would be a splendid start. Mm -hmm. Galloway goes on to say tens of thousands continue to suffer under the legal regime, which is oppressive and inequitable. 
particularly for fathers, second wives, and grandparents. Why? Because the vested interest groups called Canada's Divorce Industry Incorporated. The more families they destroy, the more money they make. And apparently that's more important than our children's right to a continued relationship with both their parents and their emotional and mental well-being. In previous sessions of Parliament, we have put forth equal parenting motions, equal parenting bills, and as Galloway said, several parliamentary reports, such as for the sake of the children 13 years ago. So please urge your MP to champion for a government bill for equal parenting. Tell your MP our children have a right to the love, care, and attention of both parents while the marriage is intact. Why is that right taken away from the children when the marriage ends? Exactly. Um, you know, what else has been going on since... I guess 2014, apparently there was a defeat of Bill C-560. Yes, and that was a very frustrating time. And um, I guess initially when C-560 was defeated, I think a lot of the equal parenting advocates were defeated as well mm -hmm. and um i think even initially myself i took a few months off and then i moved to i moved back to oshawa um after the split up with the non-custodial dad, there was a couple incidents that just kind of put me over the top. And after seven years of living that nightmare, I couldn't do it any longer. Mm -hmm. When I first moved back to Oshawa, I began the process all over again, meeting with my new MP and my new MPP. And um, I knew we still had a lot of work to do. So basically at that point, I founded a new group and it was uh, it's the equal shared parenting working group and it consists at this time of six organizations one is in quebec it's action des nouvelles conjoints et des nouveaux conjoints du quebec which is basically like a second spouses uh, equal parenting organization um, it also consists of the Canadian Association for Equality, known as CAFE. And I was on the board of directors of CAFE from 2012 to 2018. It also consists of the Canadian Equal Parenting Council, uh, CEPC, which again, I used to be the co-president and then I left for a while and I came back. I'm now back on the board of directors for that organization as well. And Lawyers for Shared Parenting, which is an amazing organization as well. And they're part of it. And Leading Women for Shared Parenting, which I represent the Canadian side, and Real Women of Canada. Now, during this time, I continued to meet with my MPs and MPPs in the area 
and I requested a meeting with our, well now former Minister of Justice, and I wasn't getting any response. So I approached my MP and asked them to put in a request on my behalf, which they happily did. And they then informed me that it would probably take about three months to get a response from them and that they would probably want to meet with me in Ottawa because I'm not a constituent of their riding. And I said, no problem, I'll drive three hours. And um, they never heard back. They never heard back. They never heard back. I kept bugging my MP saying, hey, what's going on? Any updates? And out of frustration, they're telling me they haven't even heard back. And I said, well, how is that possible that a member of parliament isn't even hearing back? I said, I can understand how they can ignore my request for a meeting, but how can they possibly ignore the request coming from an actual member of parliament? So then they started phoning, faxing, and emailing, and still getting no request, hmm. or no response, I should say. And eventually, my MP phones me, again, from the House of Commons, saying, hey, Paulette, I think I figured out why you're not getting a response from the Minister of Justice. And I said, why is that? He says, because they just tabled a bill, C-78, which is an act to amend the Divorce Act, the family orders and agreements and blah, blah, blah. So he says, I guess that's why they haven't accepted your request for a meeting because they're planning on making some changes on their own. And I said, well, that sounds promising. And he says, well, you might not think so after you look at the actual bill that they're introducing. And that was Bill C-78. So in looking at it, what should have been a complete overhaul to the Divorce Act really wasn't. It was more targeted as a legal housekeeping exercise instead of a complete overhaul of the system, which is what was really needed. Basically, they changed the words custody and access and a few other minor things, but nothing substantive, nothing that should have been done with that. So we pursued them hard mm -hmm. with joint submissions and individual submissions and um, basically pleading with them to incorporate equal parenting into that new legislation. So then basically you're just starting over from scratch and, and doing this all over again. 
Well, with Bill C-78, we um, really pushed hard to get them to incorporate the equal parenting presumption, which they really had no intention of doing at all. And um, one of our colleagues even wrote about it in Legal Matters Canada. And just to give you a brief understanding of how much they really wanted no part of equal parenting, he writes in that article, um, I and others advocated very strongly to change the bill to include a rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting, he says, explaining that it would make the shared parenting standard a default position after a marriage breakup unless issues such as family violence were present. Our position was not accepted, though we could tell that those opposing the idea were running scared. Almost every interest group that gave evidence to the Commons Committee felt it was important to attack the concept of rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting, even though it wasn't even in the big O, but they attacked it anyway. So we did presentations, we gave testimony in the House of Commons, and one of the things that I gave in my testimony was, um, of course, a little bit of background, which we discussed last week, of my own personal experiences with it. Mm -hmm. And I'll just read the last part. Moving to my conclusion, I'd like to share with the committee public perception of shared parenting after its adoption in other jurisdictions. A recent example is Kentucky, which became the first U.S. state to adopt an explicit rebuttable presumption of shared parenting in April 2018. Subsequent poll results of July 2018 indicate favorable support of shared parenting by a ratio of six to one, about the same as in Canada. The poll also provides valuable insight on children's rights versus parental rights. As you know, detractors of shared parenting paint it as a parental rights issue on the erroneous assumption that parental and children's rights are somehow mutually exclusive rather than overlapping. Here's what the poll reported. Two questions were asked on children's rights and two on parental rights. So for the children's rights, is it in the best interest of the child to have as much time as possible with their parents following divorce? And a ratio of 12 to 1 agreed. Children have a right to spend equal time or near equal time with both parents following divorce or separation. And again, this time, 16 to 1 agreed. Hmm. For the parental rights, both parents, whether living together or living apart, should have equal access to their children and should share responsibility for raising their children. Again, 12 to 1 agreed. Hmm. And separated parents should have 
equal parenting rights versus father or mother should have more rights. And again, 11 to 1 agree. These results strongly indicate that children's rights and parental rights are not mutually exclusive, but complementary, oftentimes flip side of the same coin while recognizing the primacy of the child. So in that respect, the Minister of Justice was badly advised by her staff for her testimony before this committee on November 5th when she framed shared parenting as a parental issue rather than a child's rights issue. Social science research and the public at large are telling you they are indivisible. To treat them as disjoint is not only scientifically incorrect, it is openly disingenuous. Children's best interests are served by having both parents actively involved while parental rights are satisfied by allowing fit parents to raise their children. So it's okay. very sad mm -hmm. that even to this day, we don't acknowledge and accept that. There was an article published too after that that was uh, Kentucky's popular joint custody law shows why it's most effective at helping families. And in that article, they basically indicate that after that law was put into place with the equal or with the uh, public policy polling, uh, it showed that it was supported by six to one, much similar to Canada and um, Kentucky's family law caseload and domestic violence caseloads were on a huge decline that obviously equal parenting was working. There was another question on that poll that we talked about last week about false allegations being the silver bullet and getting um, the upper hand in family courts. One of the questions on that Kentucky poll also was, do you generally agree or disagree with the following statement? It is not uncommon for a divorcing parent to make false violence or abuse claims to gain the advantage in child custody cases. Over 81% said yes. That just goes to show how scary that is. Mm -hmm. That in this day and age, we still have no rights in family law that you are guilty until you prove otherwise. Which is basically one of the statements too that uh, Gene C. Coleman made in that article in Legal Matters Canada. Well, it doesn't really relate to that so much, but anyway, uh, he writes, if you are an adequate parent, all things being equal, you should have 50-50 time with your children, he says. But in the decades that I've been practicing family law, it seems we have to prove that a father is super dad mm -hmm. to achieve equal parenting. And that's not fair, and it's certainly not great for kids. And he also writes that here in Canada, 
I think legislators know in their heart of hearts that the rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting is best for children. However, it is not necessarily a good thing for lawyers or others who feed off of the conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been my point all along is that, first of all, real parents, fit parents, don't need to go to court to be told how to raise their children. They automatically settle, as I mentioned last week also, that um, approximately 90% of parents don't go to court. They don't step foot inside a courtroom. Mm -hmm. They agree how to move forward and they do it. Mm -hmm. And out of that 10% that do go to court, almost 7% are seeking sole custody and for no other reason than revenge or anger or control issues with the balance being domestic violence issues. And again, as I mentioned last week, domestic violence is a crime and it should be treated as such and dealt with in criminal courts where they have the actual resources to do a proper investigation and um, it should not be dealt with in family courts where basically it's the best liar wins and no proof is required. Yeah, very true. Well, I, so I, I know see we're, that we're almost. Yeah, I was just saying, I know we're, we're on a time constraint and I won't, I won't keep you any longer, but you know, I have a, there's a podcast on that I have that's called Riley Talks About Divorce Done Right. And she talked about how her parents and their exes, everyone got along, like throughout their whole growing up. So people can do it, just, just do it for the sake of the kids. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, it's definitely time for change and parents need to love their children more than they hate their ex. That's mm-hmm. the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Actually, I would just like to quickly read a recent letter that was published Um, And it's about our equal parenting poll or petition, I should say. And I did uh, read it last week, but in closing, I'd like to read it again. It'll only take a minute, I promise. That's okay. So it's titled, The Best Interest of the Child is Having Both Parents. Equal shared parenting is in the best interest of the child, and it should be the starting point for judicial consideration If both parents are deemed fit while the relationship is intact, then both parents should be deemed fit when the relationship ends. Social science informs us that children do much better with both parents. Conversely, children raised without both parents generally underachieve, are prone to more medical and social problems, and have significantly higher rates of incarceration, all at taxpayer expense. Continuity of parental and family relationship to the maximum workable extent is what it is in the best interest of the child. Hence, Mm -hmm. fit parents should not have to spend their life savings in family court simply to maintain a pre-existing relationship with the children, as is all too often the case. 
Equal shared parenting is fully endorsed by social science research as the preferred child arrangement post-dissolution, barring issues of abuse, neglect, or violence. Not only is equal shared parenting supported by science, but it is also overwhelmingly supported in many countries and jurisdictions according to polls, as is the case in Canada. In polls commissioned in 2007, 2009, and 2017, Canadians supported a presumption of equal parenting by a ratio of more than six to one. Notably, this strong support was generally the same regardless of gender, age, geographical region, or political affiliation. This is a nonpartisan issue for Canadians. It's time for change. It's time for a presumption of equal parenting. MP Kamich has sponsored an equal parenting petition in the House of Commons. If you agree that kids need both parents, please sign and share our petition E-3298. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and I hope to see our numbers climb on the petition. Most definitely. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future with Paulette and other guests for other exciting episodes. So thank you again, Paulette. Thank you for having me.